Welcome to Apply Filters, the podcast all about WordPress development. Now, here's your hosts, Pippin Williamson and Brad Tunar. Welcome to episode 51. This time, Pippin and I will be diving into HTTP2, what it is, the benefits, when you can start using it, and how to optimize a site for it. Uh, but first, uh, I want to give a shout out to our sponsors, the WP Ninjas. And uh, they're working on a new version of Ninja Forms, Ninja Forms 3.0, that looks super cool. Did you see the, the video, Pippin? I did. It was really awesome. I think it was James shared it out on their Twitter account. Yeah. And it's got the the, sheet, the keyboard shortcuts uh, to build a form with just your keyboard. That, to me, is one of the mo- the coolest features I've seen in a while. Um, I, I definitely recommend go watching the video so you can see an example of it. Uh, you can find it on their Twitter account. But building a building a form with keyboard shortcuts is amazing. I know Kevin just does a, a quick example of how you can add fields, set up settings, et cetera, completely from the keyboard without ever touching the mouse. And if you've ever built a... Yeah, isn't, giant, it, like, isn't it like three seconds or something? Like... <laughs> If not less. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the speed at which you can add fields to a form was pretty amazing. Um, the, I think it's a really important functionality improvement for anybody that's built massively sized forms. Like if you've ever built a form that has 100 plus fields or even 20 or 30 fields, uh, so much easier. And not just the keyboards, but also just the way that the UI itself works now. Uh, so definitely go check it out. Yeah, for sure. Uh, one quick thing before we get going is a correction, uh, from last episode, uh, about PHP seven. Uh, I believe we made the mistake of saying that any error exception would get caught by the usual try catch blocks that you would put in, uh, previous versions of your code that weren't necessarily optimized for PHP seven. That was wrong. <laughs> error exceptions. So there's a new class called error. So those won't get caught up if you're catching uh, exceptions. So classes of the type exception. That's uh, kind of a subtle thing, but yeah, uh, if you're wondering. Thanks to the listener that pointed that out to us. Oh, yeah. Who was that? Do you remember? Uh, I'd have to dig up the email. And unfortunately, (laughs) I don't have it in front of me. But uh, now, whoever you are, anonymous listener, thank you very much. Yeah. So what have you been up to, Pippin? Um... This last two weeks has actually been super slow for me. Uh, we haven't done a whole lot. Mostly, I mean, the team's been busy. They've all been working on things, but I've been pretty much out of commission for the last week. We had two things go on. Uh, one, I had a whole bunch of family in town. Um, we decided to celebrate my dad's 60th birthday and surprised him by having all the family come home. And that was fun. The downside to that was I got sick and I've been battling a cold for about a week and a half now. Uh, and today, finally, feeling better. So kind of put a monkey wrench in productivity, but you know, it happens. Uh, definitely made me appreciate uh, the team that works with me. They kind of, they kept everything running smoothly while I was pretty much non-functional. Yeah. You can kind of relax a little more and we're, you know, focus on getting better rather than, you know, right. worry, worrying more and staying sick, you know? Yeah, for sure. That's nice. Um, there are a couple of things that we did uh, get done though, or that are being worked on. One, uh, we got a big update pushed out for our PayPal Pro and Express extension today, which is our payment gateway for EDD that connects uh, your EDD store to either your PayPal website payments Pro or your PayPal Express accounts. Um, and the 
there's two big things in this. One is we added um, inline refund processing. So you can process a refund directly from inside EDD if you use either of those gateways, which just makes things a little bit easier when you need to just store management. It's better. Uh, and then two, we added support for in-context checkout. Uh, and this is, all, this is not... Uh, this is not me that did this. This is all uh, Benjamin Rojas is the developer that's done all of these. We just, uh, he did all the work and then we did the review process and released it and things like that. But so in context checkout is really cool because it's PayPal Express, uh, except that you never leave the standard, you never leave the website. So when you click submit on a checkout screen, uh, instead of going to PayPal, then signing in and stuff like that, it just opens up a little pop-up window. Uh, and then you sign in directly from there and either use your PayPal account or use a credit or debit card. Uh, it's much faster. It looks, it works really well on mobile, which is a big deal. Um, and you never leave the site. So it's, it's pretty nice improvement. Um, it's, it's one of those things like the faster you can get someone through the checkout process and the fewer chances you give them to abandon a checkout, the more likely they are to succeed. Right. Um, so not I've been having problems with PayPal recently. Um, I was just trying to buy a couple of gifts this morning and got internal server errors. And, oh, I, no. en and I ended well, up just abandoning my purchase, they, right? They did go down like 100% uh, late last week. And they were down for about an hour or two to the point like you couldn't log into accounts. No one could process payments. Uh, it was kind of funny. We actually got a support ticket for uh, Affiliate WP right when it happened is how we discovered it because they, they said, uh, Hey, we're trying to purchase, uh, excuse my language, but your, your checkout fucking sucks. <laughs> we're like, huh? What, what happened? Oh, it turns out PayPal was down. And so they were really mad at us, but you know, it's the nature of what, of using a third party API and service. Sometimes it happens. Um, real quick. There's just two things. One is a uh, restricted content pro 2.4 is getting pushed out the door. It hasn't gone out yet, but I'm hoping to actually push it out, out the door later today. Um, the big thing, and there's two big things in that, uh, one is to checkout integration for processing payments and subscriptions. Um, to checkout.com is pretty popular around the world as a global payment processor. Uh, and then the other one is I've added an integration with a for a plugin written by Constantine uh, Obenlin, which is called WP Approve Users, which lets you let site admins manually approve or, or deny user registrations. Um, it's been a big feature request for Research Content Pro since the very beginning. And so I finally built it in, but I built it as like an integration with an existing plugin that works really well. So that was fun. Um, and then my, this has been an, actually an ongoing project for the last several weeks and still ongoing is battling, um, or not necessarily battling, but deciding to take on headfirst pain points. So anytime you have a product, you can, you're going to have pain points, whether it's somebody, whether it's a pain point on your website or a feature in the in the product or your documentation, whatever it is, there's going to be pain points. So two weeks ago, the team and I sat down and said, okay, let's identify 10 to 15 pain points that we have throughout the ecosystem. And my, my task for the next several weeks is to just tackle those and see what we can do. If that means updating documentation, okay. If that means fixing bugs and code, okay. If that means changing UI, that's fine. doesn't matter what it is. Let's see what we can do. Um, and so we kind of identified the top 10 or so pain points and have been kind of pounding through those to try and make an improvement. Um, and it's still ongoing, but as really any project is. Yep. Okay. That's enough about me. How about you? 
Uh, we got a minor release of. Uh, oh, before uh, before I start, uh, it was Timothy Jacobs that gave us that tip about PHP seven. So thank you, Timothy. Um, yeah, so we've been working on a, or we pushed out a minor release of WP Offload S3, um, but tons of fixes in it. It's just one of those releases that is, is, you know, gargantuan, but nothing new and shiny in it. So you still have to, still has to get the minor release number. <laughs> um, but we pushed out uh, three new add-ons for it as well. WP ML integration, uh, Metaslider, which is a really popular free slider on .org. Uh, and enable media replace, which a lot of people use that as well. That's um, a super nice plugin, which actually I believe is it's halfway deprecated now, isn't it? Not not really deprecated, but like some of the functionality has been moved into core, hasn't it? Like you can uh, replace a media file. Not that I'm aware of. Um, really? Like, how do you replace a media file? Um, you know, let me open up a media manager because I'm pretty sure there's a way to do it now. It's mm -hmm. not the same way that that plugin does. That plugin is does it in a different way. That's super awesome. Right. But I swear there's a way to do it. Um, right. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Anyway, offload S3 works with those now. If you if you have to install those add-ons. Uh, oh, one one th one thing we we overlooked when we did this release, and we we actually just put out another release. Uh, it's going out today. The day we're recording this, November second, so it'll be out by the time this podcast is published. But um, yeah, we forgot to alert people if so. If you have, like, say they have WPML installed, like we forgot to alert them that they need to, you know, install the plugin, the this extra add-on for to get, you know, for it to be compatible. Uh, you know, we kind of just assumed that they would look for it or something, but I wouldn't look for it. <laughs> I wouldn't know that I needed extra things, you know. Um, so, yeah, so we're fixing that right away. Um, uh, and I just looked, and I, I think I'm wrong about the being able to replace a media file. Yeah. Um, it should be. So it seems like a, it should it, be a It's core a super feature. nice feature that I would love to see in core. And yeah. I swear it was there, but apparently, yeah. apparently not. I attended a little conference, a local conference uh, that's kind of like design and development. It was kind of like a 50-50 conference. Kind of cool to uh, swim in a different pond, I guess, or you know, meet meet different people. Um, a lot, not, hardly anyone there was in the WordPress space, you know. So it's kind of nice to get out of that um, that thing. Yeah, I mean, WordCamps camps are great, but. If that's all you attend, you're you kind of it's nice to get another perspective, you know. Definitely. Um, so that was that was cool. Um, one thing I found with local conferences, um, I've never enjoyed local conferences as much as when I go abroad. Uh, and the reason I figured it out: local conferences, like ninety percent of the attendees are local. Pretty much just the speakers are from away. <laughs> but I find when I go to conferences. Um, you know, elsewhere, uh, the, the attendees tend to be from out of town, you know, like it's, it's kind of the flip. It's kind of like 10, 10% are kind of local and, and the rest are, are from away. And so, um, so you get kind of different perspectives from and different by local, places. You mean local to your area? Yeah. Yeah. Geographically local. Yes. Yeah. So it's, you, uh, you know, I wonder if that's more of a, not necessarily of it being local to wherever you live or I live or so on. It's more about, Based on your location, it's not as much of a 
neither okay so neither of us will live in a major city that's kind of a destination for events right yeah, um, yeah and so like if i was to go to a conference here where i live it would be all local right whereas if we go to say WordCamp miami there's a lot of people that travel in there. yeah i think that's why i think because like those are destinations people from wherever go to those because they want to go to miami <laughs> um yeah so it's just different i guess um but it, it's interesting, like when you you're looking for people to, because I, I'm I'm actually I was still like an hour away, so I stayed in town, like I stayed at a hotel and stuff, and it was like hard to find someone to hang out with for dinner and stuff, you know, <laughs> because everyone's local, right? They just go home. Um, so it's uh, yeah, it's just a different, very very different vibe, right? Like to to a conference like that. Um, anyways, um, just a few other things we've been, you know producing some pretty sweet blog posts uh we've got one coming out you guys are cranking those out They're yeah awesome. yeah we've got one coming out called uh unit testing ajax and api requests in wordpress plugins um and that's ian uh uk ian <laughs> ian polson that wrote that it's pretty cool i learned quite a bit from that from that post um and that's a, that's a tricky area to unit test for sure yeah, it, it's some weird stuff that, that you have to do. You're kind of just spoofing things and stuff. But anyways, I won't get into it. But um, check it out. Um, and uh, Ashley wrote a cool post, uh, how to set up Max CDN with S3. So if for some reason you don't like CloudFront, which is Amazon's CDN, um, you could you know set up Max CDN with an S3 bucket. So that's kind of neat. And, uh, and Jeff played around with Amazon uh, simple notification services to send himself SMS <laughs> reminders, uh, daily reminders. Um, you got some flack from people saying like, oh, this is a ridiculous use case or whatever. And he was like, whatever, man. <laughs> it, it helps me, so whatever. <laughs> to each their own. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, it was a cool post about... Um, how you can send text messages using an API. I mean, that's pretty cool. Um, I think it's US only. I think someone said that. It's like, uh, like you can only send text messages within the US, maybe Canada too. I'm not sure. I know that's pretty, pretty common for a lot of the SMS services. Yeah. I think Twilio does a lot of different countries. Uh, yeah, I, I believe you're right. Anywho. Are you going to WordCamp US? And the, I am. Uh, I will be communities. going to that and the community summit. So I'll be there for about a whole week. Cool. So yeah, will I. Excellent. Um, I know uh, at least one of the EDD team members besides myself is also going. Um, and I expect to see maybe one or two others there. Um, if if not from the core team, from the overall community. Nice. Yeah, it should be a good time. Are, are you at the summit as well or just the conference? Yeah, both. I'm, I'm going awesome. to go to both. Yeah. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I mean, aside from, well, I guess for you, it's not as big a deal. I don't like the idea of Philadelphia in the winter, but for you, it should be like <laughs> spring, an, right? That's an upgrade for me. I bet. Should be, yeah, should be like a few a downgrade for me. few degrees so. warmer, probably. <laughs> yeah, but it should be fun regardless. Yeah. I'm, gonna, I'm staying in, a, in an Airbnb with some other guys. And oh, yeah. So, so am I. I'm staying with Jason Coleman and uh, I can't remember some other people. Awesome. Well, should be good. Yeah. All right. Shall we jump into our main topic? I think we should. Okay. I want to give a quick disclaimer here. So we're going to talk about HTTP2. Uh, and there's a lot of really cool things in this. But disclaimer is that this is 
definitely not in my area of expertise, even remotely. Most everything I know about HTTP2, HTTP, HTTP2, et cetera, is just from playing around with servers on my own a little bit, mostly breaking them, uh, and then two, doing some research in preparation for this episode. Brad knows far more than I do. Um, just the nature of your your guys' business interacts a lot more with servers, so it's kind of a requirement. And I think just in general, you know more. Uh, so we might be doing this mostly where I'm going to ask Brad questions and I'm going to provide a little bit of feedback. But if I get anything wrong, here's the disclaimer that says I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, I, I I will say I'm not a sysadmin. So <laughs> I I also, most of my information is from the research I did for this episode. Yeah. I didn't know. <laughs> In other words, take everything we say with a grain of salt. Yeah, I mean, you exactly. should probably take that always anytime. Anyway, yeah. but, but, but I we'll mean, do, we'll so... Do so one thing we should share is that we were talking about before we started the show is uh, how interesting this topic was. We were both kind of feeling, eh, it's it's kind of like, I, I don't know, it wasn't too exciting to 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 get into this. But once I started doing research, I was super excited about some of the Definitely. features and stuff. I actually, uh, there's a, a blog post that we'll link up from moz.com. I will put in the show notes. And so I went into it just really quickly, just kind of didn't really know what I was getting myself into. And I'll tell you that in the first, like first three paragraphs, I realized that this was super interesting and read all the way through um, and then went back over it a couple of times. So um, actually a pretty interesting topic. Um, so first of all, Brad, why don't you give us a quick overview of HTTP2? Um, what is it? Why do we care? What's different? What is, what is HTTP two versus HTTP one? So, so one, so HTTP one point one is the kind of what most websites are serving right now, right? That's that's the protocol that's being used, and that was um, released in nineteen ninety nine. As <laughs> that is a long time ago, and, and, and started to be adopted in nineteen ninety nine. I was ten years old. Yeah, so it's old and. Especially uh, in, in, in internet terms, it's ancient. So so one thing that I should be clear about, it sounds like this is like a new version of the protocol, but the protocol really hasn't changed much. It's kind of like stuff has been layered on top of it. And um, so it's backwards compatible, right? So it, it'll, you know, if, you, if your server is running um, an HTTP2 server, it'll still... You know, if you're running an old browser that doesn't support it, it'll still work, right? Your ser- your server will still serve the page um, to to that browser, so that's that's not a concern. Um, so, also something that's interesting is um, so most people have heard of Google's Speedy, um, which is something they introduced into Chrome. Uh, I think it was like 2008 or something. It was quite a while ago. And then other browsers started adopting it as well. And then the, I don't know what the organization is that does these specifications. I can't remember. The IE something or other. They they saw what was happening with Speedy and said, well, let's, let's you know, develop a specification around this so that... It's, it's the Internet, Internet Engineering Task Force. There IETF. you go. IETF. Yes. 
so Speedy was being developed kind of alongside. I, you know, I run Speedy on our server. Pretty much all the major browsers out there, they support Speedy. Real quick to, to clarify. So Speedy is really just this protocol that Google developed specifically for, for Google Chrome to make HTTP requests faster. Yes. Is that yes. A, a basically correct? Is that basically correct? Yes, and and HTTP two is all about performance as well. That's that's what it is. It's not a, they're not changing the protocol. So Speedy was developed by Google, and then it has basically been mer. It's be- become HTTP two. So what was Speedy is now HTTP two. Yes, pretty much. More or less. Uh, what's what's really cool is it, traditionally what what's happened with specifications is they've just developed them on paper, right? And then the then they kind of deliver them <laughs> or publish them and as final drafts or whatever. And then the browser vendors get them and they start implementing them and all hell breaks loose, right? Because some things get, some browsers interpret things one way and others interpret them the other way. And what's interesting about this though, is that HTTP2 was based on Speedy. So the kind of like the basis was they use Speedy's specification as the basis. So all of the uh, current implementations that were out there being used already was kind of the foundation of the HTTP2 spec. So you could argue that HTTP2 has been very well tested up to this point, right? Because it's kind of a lot of it's been in use, you know, for years. Um, so that's pretty cool. Um, now, so overall, what's what is the purpose of HTTP2? Like, what is it? What's its main goal? Main goal is performance. Yeah. Okay. It's so, real quick, um, can I can I get you to give a quick maybe a quick example of like what's the performance issue that it solves? So obviously, everything everything really is around performance. We always want to do things to make things better and faster and more efficient. But what is the main performance bottleneck that HTTP one point one has that two is solving? Right. Um, so. In HTTP 1.1, you could only download kind of like two assets at a time. That was kind of how it started. Uh, I think Chrome, the latest version of Chrome, if you're if you're running, if you're accessing a server uh, over HTTP 1.1, you, it'll download six assets at a time. With HTTP 2, if you're accessing a server with Chrome, uh, that a server that has HTTP 2. Uh, with Chrome, it, it'll download as many uh, kind of assets as it can at, con- concurrently. Um, and there's a thing called multiplexing. Have you looked into that, like the multiplexing thing? I have looked at it a little bit. Um, and it's it's really pretty cool. Um, what is it? This is, a, this is where the demo comes into play that we have. Let me... Um, so there's this really cool demo that we're going to link up in the show notes. Um, it's from Akamai.com. I hope that's right. Oh, actually, there's two of them. So basically, they they show a comparison between HTTP 1.1 and HTTP 2 uh, using like the same image, and it is astounding the difference. Um, it is it's absolutely amazing the difference that it makes. So like just to describe the demo. So um, so the demo is. It loads uh, 378 image tiles, so like little little images, kind of that make up like a larger image. So these like 378 tiles, and on the left you have the image or the image tiles being loaded over HTTP 
right? So they load in, and then right after they're done, they're, on the right, it loads in uh, the same tiles, but over HTTP2. And for me, the difference was like five times faster the HTTP2 tiles came in. It was, uh, I got 3.81 seconds on the left and 0.67 seconds on the right. Um, so that's just like, did you did you get similar results? I did. Yeah. yeah. Super impressive. So so that just shows like how much faster it is to when you when you can kind of start downloading all of those one, tiles at, at once. You know, I want to try and give a quick example, and I and I hope I don't butcher this, but to kind of give an idea of like how this works and the main issue that it solves for anybody who's not super well versed in this. Have you ever loaded a web page? And there's a giant image on it, and the entire page just stops loading until that image loads. And then once it finishes loading, then you see the rest of the page load. Or another is if you, let's say that you're loading a resource, uh, whether it's JavaScript, CSS, or images from an external server, and that external server goes down, your web page doesn't load at all until it either that request times out, it, it finally resolves it, or whatever happens. That problem doesn't exist in HTTP2, which is pretty cool and amazing. Um, because in HTTP 1.1, you start loading a file. And when that file finally loads, it goes back to the client. And then it starts loading another one, finishes, then loads another one, finishes, then loads another one. Whereas with HTTP2, we can do a whole bunch of concurrent requests. And so like, let's say we have five images and a bunch of CSS files to load. We can send all the requests and get back pieces even out of order. And so a large file will not prevent, um, a large file that takes a while to load will not prevent other files from loading. Like they'll all load concurrently. Right. There's a lot of inefficiencies in HTTP 1.1. Like I think you need to open a new TCP connection to the server for each asset. Um, whereas this uh, HTTP two, it keeps that t the first connection open to the server and just keeps making requests over that same connection. So you don't you don't have to reestablish a connection and do a handshake every time you you uh, request an asset. Um, so that's pretty cool. Um, some other benefits: um, the headers are compressed uh, in HTTP two, which doesn't sound like a big deal because you're thinking headers um, can be pretty small, but don't forget about the cookie header. <laughs> right. they, those can actually get pretty large. <laughs> yeah, they can. Um, and so uh, in the past, what people used to do uh, to avoid that, they would put their assets on a separate domain, right, that, that they wouldn't be setting cookies on. When the browser would request an asset from your separate domain, it, there would be no cookies set there. So it wouldn't, it wouldn't, uh, wouldn't, suffer that load you know um what else uh server push that's pretty cool that's a, that's a huge one that's super cool um yeah. so basically server push uh if i understood this right basically allows a browser to basically say load this file before it's even been requested which i'll be honest i don't really understand how that technically works but it's really cool. So before you even get to the point in the web page where a file is supposed to be loaded, that file's already been loaded because it's included. I believe it's included in in the headers that say, "Hey, I need this file. I need it later on. So go ahead and load it." Yep, exactly. And it's um, 
And it just loads it into the cache so that, you know, when the browser gets eventually gets to parsing your your document, the HTML, like, you know, the head part of the document and, and sees that asset, it's already in the cache. So it doesn't have to make a request for it. Um, so that's pretty, that's pretty neat that you can, that the server can actually send the, the assets in advance, right. Without, um, before it even gets to the head part of the Which could really make a a site load almost instantaneously in terms of the feel. One technique people have been using, um, is that inlining CSS. I can't remember what it's called. It's like the, the essential CSS to load, to, to render the top part of the document. So, um, do you know what I'm talking about? Like the, the it's kind of like the, the most important CSS styles. They will just like your main structure or something. Yeah. So, so I've, put, I've not actually seen that practice, but I don't pay that much attention to CSS practices to be honest. Right. So anyway, you, you put that in line so that when the page comes back in that request, you have those styles right away and you don't have to wait for the, for the, you know, CSS file to be requested and then returned and downloaded uh, and read and rendered. Um, it just does it right there because it's in line. Well, that practice is no longer necessary, right? If you can, like, if the, the server can fetch the CSS in advance of, of rendering, right? Um, so that's pretty cool. What's super important that we didn't talk about yet is, is could we use this yet right like ah, yes like i would have i probably should i would have tuned out a while ago because i would just assume this is all like fancy shiny stuff that no one can use but it's incredible that i i was shocked when i started researching this how how many browsers support it already um it's, it's almost across the board in all major browsers yeah yeah i mean i i was a little disappointed to see safari 8 doesn't have it but the latest, i was also a little bit surprised to see the latest android browser does not have it yeah, but I don't know how many people use that. It's I'm looking at caniuse.com right now, and it says 0% global usage. Okay, well, there you go. Um, yeah, I think most people use Chrome for Android if they're on Android. Uh, yeah, 15.92% global usage. So, yeah, no, not too many people use the Android, but it's pretty junky anyway. So, um, But, yeah, like uh, iOS, Safari has, you know, support for HTTP2. You know, it's across the board, like you said. Yeah. Um, uh, in terms of getting it enabled, what's what's really involved here? Is this a just need to contact your your server, your hosting company, or if you manage your server yourself, uh, and just ask them to enable it? Yeah, I don't know if they're going to go for that, but <laughs> you could try. Yeah, uh, it'll probably really depend on who your hosting company is. Yeah, and it also depends what their strategy is for for rolling this out, right? Like they might have um, like shared hosting. Uh, companies, they might have some newer s- servers that they're setting it up right. with HTTP. I, I, I really suspect that this will not be something that we'll see on some of the common shared hosts for a long time, unfortunately. Uh, yeah, I mean, may, maybe. Now, a long time might be a year. It might be two years. But it, like, if it's going to be, a, if sites are going to have it today um, and in the very near future, it'll be the ones that are providing VPSs, dedicated servers, et cetera. It could actually help them quite a bit in terms of load as well, because the requests um, will be less, you know, because it only right. uses one H- or TCP connection. It doesn't, it's not constantly making requests. There's one big problem with it on shared hosts. What's that? Uh, HTTP more or less requires HTTPS. HTTP2 requires HTTPS, yes. Right, so it can only be yeah. used on sites that already ha- that have SSL certificates set up 
which on a lot of shared hosts is not going to be the case. That's for the a good point. Very good point. Yeah, I forgot about that. Um, yeah, so now, what, that does not mean that they can't enable it for, for customers that have it. Yeah. Well, yeah. okay, no. They, well, they would have to put everybody who has an HTTPS on, a certain, on certain servers. Yeah, I so think. So that would get messy. Yeah, I don't know what their strategy is. I'm not even going to try, I guess. <laughs> I'm sure every company, it'll be different. Um, but what was interesting to me as well is that this was like very recent that this specification was finalized, the HTTP2 spec. Uh, and Nginx uh, already released uh, HTTP2 built into its release on September 22nd, so a month ago now. Uh, and Mo- Apache has a module for HTTP2 as well. It's it's kind of it's still you know quote unquote experimental. But right, I think it's tech. I think they consider it in alpha stage. Uh, I don't know about that. I don't. I it, it. There's a warning anyway on their on their documentation page that says it's experimental, but I don't know. Uh, that that one was released October thirteenth. Um, but uh, I think most people, if they're running Apache, I don't know about mo- most people. We're not running Apache uh, public. It's not publicly like we're running Apache, but it's behind Nginx. Right, which is that's how mine set up too. Yeah, so I'll be honest. I don't even understand how it remotely works. Yeah, yeah. Beyond me, but it's it's um, yeah. I mean, it's not that complicated. But so, what is all of this really? Okay, so we've we've looked at it a little bit. We've looked at some examples of why this is really cool. Why it's something that will want that everybody should want to use in the near future. Now, what does it mean for WordPress? Is there anything that WordPress needs to keep in mind for this? Anybody who's running WordPress site needs to keep in mind, or does it just work? Yeah, it just works. Don't worry about it. Uh, it, it will Sweet. just work. That's what I like to hear. Uh, but <laughs> there is definitely this. This was kind of a shock to me, actually, too, because like there's a bunch of things that we've been doing for to optimize our sites uh, that HTTP HTTP two kind of fixes. So you don't need to do them anymore, right? And actually, if you do them, it actually makes things worse. <laughs> if, if 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 the person browsing is on HTTP2, right? So, um, so what are some examples? For example, um, concatenating all your CSS into one giant file or all your JS into one giant file, that used to make sense, right? Because you you would that would just be one request. So you'd be cutting down on all these different requests if you had a bunch of different CSS and JS files. Um, and you, so that, you know, so you'd be sending headers, you'd be, you know, there's a lot of overhead with making a request for each file. So it just made sense to put them all in one. Well, not anymore, right? Like HTTP2 is much better at, at dealing with multiple files now. So, so because of the, uh, the multiplex and concurrence, concurrent requests, do you think I'm right to say that it, the reason that we won't want to concatenate files anymore is because since we can say load five files simultaneously, it's actually more efficient to load five small files at once than to load one big file. It is, it is. And and the, you have to also remember, if you put all of your CSS files in, in one CSS file, uh, I'm saying that because that's how we have things set up, but some, some people just put all their CSS in one giant file in, in development, right? Um, if, if you do that, how many of those... F- styles are actually being used on the page that's being loaded right like maybe a quarter if that exactly so you're loading all of this stuff that you don't need necessarily on that that one page so we can split start splitting up our css 
and actually loading them into the page much more intelligently from now on. Um, like, like if you have a, you know, the about us page, right? Why load those styles on the homepage? Like that doesn't make any sense, right? right? And so never made sense. You have to a me. global CSS file that does all your global styling, and then for any page specific, load that in a separate file. Yeah, it made sense in the past to do to to put it all in one file because it was it was actually slower, right, to make the extra requests for the extra files. But but now not so much. That's one of the, that's one of these improvements. It's just awesome because it actually makes our job as, as developers significantly easier. Like it, we can focus on organization and making nicer files, and not worry about okay, we need to get everything jammed into one big file because we don't want those extra requests. Yeah, I mean it, that's super it, awesome. Yeah, I mean they were essentially hacks, right? We we're essentially kind of hacking HTTP one point one, and now we don't have to do that anymore. So um, that's pretty cool. I, I'm saying now we don't have to do that anymore because uh, like we just said, you can use HTTP2 now, right? Like it's, but if you're on a server that doesn't support it yet, then you shouldn't be doing this stuff yet. <laughs> right. There's something we got to keep in mind as well um, <laughs> is that let's, so if, let's say your server supports HTTP2, but if a, if a client's browser doesn't, they're still going to get everything served over HTTP1. Yeah. So that's... The- that's probably li- less likely, though, because like we just said, it's pretty much across the board support. Right. So they'd have but to be one of the things on that you can do to go into your Google Analytics and analyze. If you, if you're, this is something that you seriously want to do, go to your analytics and analyze your your main user platforms and figure out are the majority of my users on browsers that support HTTP two. If for whatever reason your audience is uh, are using really much older browsers that don't support it, then this is something you're going to want to avoid for a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's the same thing with like Internet Explorer. You know, right. when can you stop supporting IE seven? <laughs> and and yeah, yeah, you really just have to look at your stats. But um, so another thing is image spriting. Remember, I remember like Gmail. Remember, I remember seeing image spriting. I think Gmail was the first example of it that I saw that they had this one image that had all these like little bits and pieces yep. of UI elements in it. And they were using some crazy mappings to, to you know, to... CSS to, positioning. Yeah, it's CSS positioning. And and to, to sh- display the, you know. So anyway... No you more. No, yeah, you don't need to do that anymore. You just, you know, cut up all your images. I'm wondering though, like with buttons, right? Like, like it's very typical to have a button... Um, and then the rollover in the same image, I think that's probably still just more convenient just to do it that way, right? Yeah, like, I would think so. And also, I mean, the size of that as one image versus two is going to be extremely minimal. Now, yeah. to be fair, that's probably a case where you shouldn't be using an image anyway, anymore. Oh, yeah, probably not. <laughs> I mean, it depends on the button. I guess it could be pretty pretty graphic heavy, right? But um and then domain sharding, which is a term I didn't even... I still don't know what this is. I, <laughs> domain sharding is... So I knew what it was. Like I had to look up what people were calling it. Um, so what you used to do is... Um, remember I was saying you could, you'd could you put your assets on a separate domain name to avoid the cookies so that your, your requests were, were smaller? Uh, similar kind of thing, but you'd actually put... Uh, your assets across like several different domains. Like, so you'd have like assets one, assets two, assets three dot deliciousbrains.com or whatever, right? 
Um, and the reason you do that is because each of them are because each of them are on a separate domain. It the browser will try to download them concurrently, right? Because the the browser restricts concurrent downloads per domain. So it'll only down like for example Chrome if you're on HTTP one will only download six assets at a time from the same domain. But let's say you had your assets spread out across across a bunch of different domains, then it would download six from each of those domains. So you could get your assets loaded much faster by splitting them up. That's what that's all the domain sharding means. But now, no point of doing that, right? There's really no point because it, they'll it'll just download them all concurrently anyway. Um, so uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's about it for. Um, oh yeah, one other thing that I thought of that about optimization um, was uh, you know Google Web Fonts, uh, CDNJS.com. So you can you can load these uh, load fonts and JavaScript from these third party servers, right? Um, and the benefit is supposed to be that well, if they the user has visited another site with that asset it's cached in their browser so it's available instantly when they when they visit your site um i guess you have to like balance like what is the likelihood that that's actually true right it's probably true for jquery right like maybe that one would make sense to continue to load from wherever from google's uh, cdn or whatever um but you know if it's something like more obscure like a web font from google that is not that commonly used then you know it might actually be faster to host that font yourself on your on your server because the tcp connection will already be open right to your server and it can download that font pretty fast over that one that http2 connection um whereas if uh, the font is on Google servers. It has to open a separate TCP connection to get that font. Right. Now, so, one thing to keep in mind, though, is that if, it, if it's on your server, that's your bandwidth. It is, yeah. But, eh. It's, it's I not mean, necessarily it's, a problem. It's just something to be aware of. Yeah. All the other assets will, will be on your server. So, I right. mean, it really, it's, it's about perform. If it's about performance and it's an obscure font that no one else is using... You might, you probably do want to load that from your own server. Now, if you're subscribing to something like, um, what's that font service? Uh, uh, text something. It's like it's owned by Adobe. Anyway, like if you're using something like that, I don't think you have a choice. I think it's like built in. Like the licensing is built into their service. So, so I don't think there's much choice. Anyway, I, I think uh, you know there's. There's definitely some considerations to be made there. I'm not saying that you should stop loading assets from third-party servers, but you should definitely consider no. consider the performance. It is very cool to like to think about how all of these um, these changes and maybe what we've considered best practices for a while are going to change and adopt over the next couple of years as HTTP two becomes commonplace. Yeah, it's it's pretty cool. And like and like we said, like HTTP2 is supported by all the major browsers. So if you don't care about older browsers, you can be Use using it. using these things today. Yeah. And I mean, and you have a server that supports HTTP2, which you should. <laughs> yeah. If you're running the the newest software, I mean, you you can have this stuff. So um well, super cool. Yeah. 
I like this stuff. All right, let's see. Uh, anything else before we kind of finish up here? There are a couple of good resources that um, that we'll put into the show notes. Uh, uh, let's see. There's a couple f- uh, specific to WordPress. There's a post on make.wordpress.org from Zach Tolman, uh, which is r- a really good one to go look at. Um, it just kind of shows a bunch of the things that are going to be considered in, in WordPress, just in terms like making it run better on HTTP2. Uh, and it's mostly more of an HTTPS than HTTP2 uh, for WordPress. Uh, and then there's some other good blog posts as well. So if this interests you, definitely go check it out. Um, if it doesn't interest you, go check it out. Probably the best the press or best resource that I read was the uh, chapter 12 uh, of the book, High Performance Browser Networking by Ilya Grigoric. Um, that was just really well detailed. Uh, everything that was... Um, you know, all the stuff about HTTP2 and its benefits and stuff. And what's really cool is that, I mean, that's a, it's not a free book. It's, you know, you can buy that book, but it is available to read online right now for free because it's sponsored by a conference or something. Um, Anyway, it's an O'Reilly book, pretty, you know, high quality stuff. So check that out. And uh, should we wrap it up? Yeah, uh, I would say if you have any questions about HTTP2, uh, any thoughts or feedback, or if we got anything blatantly wrong, mostly if I got anything blatantly wrong, (laughs) um, drop us a comment, send us an email, you know how to get in touch. All right. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening.